Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Stew does America. Get your merch at stewdoesmerch.com. Got great stuff about the election up there and uh, some new stuff coming up, I think, next week. Make sure to check it out. Stew10 is the promo code. You get 10% off your order. Don't forget to support us on YouTube as well. Just head to youtube.com slash stewdoesamerica. Subscribe to our videos. Hit the bell for notifications. Jason Buttrell is going to be here to weigh on my uh, in on my election bet with Glenn Beck. Also, what's going on at the border. He was just there, and he'll give you the download on that. Joe Biden continues to be wild unpopular. Go figure. I will I'll give you the latest polling. But we start by doing the collapse of green America. You know, I started the show today when we were prepping it this morning and I was thinking to myself, you know, like when you do like something positive, like there's a lot of complaining about what's going on in the world. But like we keep making progress on some of these things and we should outline that. We should talk about it a little bit, give you some positive news. And I brought that up to Glenn and he immediately um, ruined it. Uh, he just continually <laughs> gave me bad news and ruined my entire day. And he part of it was on what we're going to talk about here. So I will give you the caveat to some of this here in just a second from our one and only Glenn Beck. But it's important to understand that progress is being made on some of this stuff, especially when it comes to the environment. Remember, we were talking about Green New Deals and uh, inflation, uh, adjust, uh, inflation Reduction Act that has nothing to do with inflation or reducing it. Uh, but the ESG push has really hit uh, a speed bump here for the left. And that is a real positive. And they're starting to talk about this openly. More Wall Street firms are flip-flopping on climate. Here's why. Financial giants were already trimming their climate pledges amid Republican attacks. Then came concerns about legal risks. This is from the New York Times. In recent days, giants of the financial world, including J.P. Morgan, State Street and PIMCO all pulled out of a group called Climate Action 100 Plus, an international coalition of money managers that was pushing big companies to address climate issues. Wall Street's retreat from an earlier environmental pledge has been on a slow, steady glide uh, for months, particularly as Republicans began withering political attacks, saying the investment firms were engaging in woke capitalism. And look, you know, the left might argue that this is a better form of capitalism, right, where they say, OK, well, we have to address the climate, um, making these big business firms come in and do this stuff. Uh, we don't have to pass the laws that we would need to to get climate change uh, you know, restrained. These businesses are doing it on their own. And this is wonderful. You can say that if you want, and I can push back against it. We can have a conversation about uh, the idiocy, in my view, of what that uh, uh, point entails. But what you can't say is that it, it's not adjusting capitalism. It's changing capitalism. It just is. Fundamentally, at its core, it's changing capitalism. What we want is some form of normie capitalism, right? What we used to do. C companies come up with products that serve their customers. Customers choose the product and the price that they believe is the best combination for them. If they need those products, they decide. The market 
pushes all these things through. And at the end of the day, we have a system that is bigger than any one individual. It's, it's, it's the entire market making these decisions. And it make, uh, it's what's made our country great, basically, the entire time. So to put it in quotes that are like, oh, well, Republicans are calling this woke capitalism. You might not like the word woke. You used to love the word woke. It was your word. But now I guess they don't like it because we've, we've uh, another piece of progress, have uh, successfully squashed that word with any real relevance to the left. All, now it's just a, an attack from the right. But the bottom line, it, 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 it might, you might not think it's woke capitalism, but it's something else. It's something completely different where these companies are being pressured by government institutions to enter these non-governmental organizations to implement all sorts of climate pledges, promises, pressures that amount to the same types of bills we keep defeating through the government. Well, that's something. That's not normal capitalism. That is something different. Woke capitalism is a fine description for me. If you don't like that description, come up with another word. But it is something different. And when you fundamentally change the thing that made your country great, that's notable. And these companies should be feeling these pressures. In the past few weeks, things accelerated significantly. BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager, scaled back its involvement in the group. Bank of America reneged on a commitment to stop financing new coal mines, uh, coal burning power plants and Arctic drilling projects. And Republican politicians sensing momentum called on other firms to follow suit. They also are worried if they're going to get charged with crimes because of laws that have been passed through the government. That's been part of the successful pushback as well. Now, this is a lot of this you'll remember being covered in Glenn's uh, series of books, uh, The Great Reset and Dark Future. His co-author on that book is Justin Haskins. He's been on the show before. He sent us a lengthy uh, diatribe on this recently. And, you know, it it was worth highlighting all of it. But let me just give you two quick pieces. I know Glenn's going to go into this more uh, later this week. He says, now we're now up to 15 anti-ESG laws passed by states and several more are in front of legislators right now. The most important is in Tennessee, which is trying to pass the same tough anti-ESG law passed in Florida last year, the one we spent a lot of time talking about. The sponsor of the bill is a huge fan of Glenn's and has managed to get the state's leadership on board. With one final grassroots push, it could pass, which would be a huge uh, would be huge for the mo- movement. The European Union's radical proposal for a global ESG system, we talked about this both in the Great Reset and Dark Future books, appears to be on the verge of collapsing because of pressure from regular folks in Germany and Italy, among other places. That's big, big news. I mean, if even Europe is pushing back against these things, that is really, really positive. Um, now, there is, again, some caveat. We'll get to this in a second, but let me give you this as well, because it's not just uh, the push for these laws and ESG uh, policies that really involve investment and a lot of money flowing to these companies. If you have the ESG model in place, uh, the investment dollars get directed to companies that are ESG friendly. So those ESG friendly companies become even more ESG friendly because they want to attract those investment dollars. They want to be the companies chosen by the Black Rocks of the world. So they adjust what they're doing. Instead of trying to give uh, customers the the things that they want, they give the investors the things that they want uh, because they know they have to match these ESG policies. A big example of this is electric vehicles. Of course, there have been pressures on companies to make these electric vehicles for a long time. Going, I mean, going back to the 90s, this was going on. 
And what's happened, you know, if you go back to the 90s, the original electric vehicle was a GM vehicle. And this was basically caused by a California law. And California says, uh, well, in a few years, you're going to have to have a certain percentage of your cars be zero emission vehicles. There's no real way to do that except electric cars, even though they were super expensive and people didn't really want them. The technology clearly wasn't there at the time. But they decided to make the EV1, which was this electric vehicle. Um, and it was famously made into a pretty bad documentary called Who Killed the Electric Car? By the way, the answer to that is anyone with eyes. It was a terrible looking car in my view, um, but also it was not really ready for prime time. So they tried to force this down the throats of people and California eventually had to back out of this law because they realized number one, people didn't wanna buy these cars. Number two, um, they basically didn't have the technology ready. Now look, that technology has come a long way where a lot of people really enjoy their Teslas. There's a lot of cars out there that are actually pretty cool to drive and certainly incredibly fast, zero to 60. Um, they're really impressive. I, there's a like cyber truck that's around here right now that is driving around and, and to, it is literally the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like if I, if I were to give a four-year-old uh, the, uh, the task of designing a tank, um, this might be what they came up with. And it, Rumors are this is kind of how Elon came up with the design of it. He, his kid drew it. Anyway, it looks like his kid drew it. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's not something I would ever want to own. That being said, I don't make those decisions. This is a market economy, and the market makes those decisions, and people may love that. They may be everywhere. The, the, the fastest one, which is, I think, called the Beast, is incredibly fast. Like, it can beat Porsches zero to 60. I mean, they are imp it's, the technology is legitimately impressive. But all of these pressures on companies um, outside of Elon Musk, who you know, basically decided he wanted to do this and thought it was important because he's you know, basically global warming extremist, um, he decided to, to do this on his own. And of course, he may have got a bunch of money from the government as well for people to buy them early on. But he almost had a, a company collapse. This is a very dangerous policy for, for a car company to take on. I mean, Tesla almost collapsed many times over uh, their approach here. And of course, these other companies that make a lot of money on their gas-powered cars are now trying to make electric vehicles, and those electric vehicles are not working out so well. So how do you square that with what the Biden administration wants to do? They want to force everyone to be selling only electric cars in the very near future. Well, uh, you know, we've all looked at this. We've heard company after company say by 2025, 2030, they're going to have all electric cars. They're not going to have any more gas powered cars. Is that realistic? Certainly doesn't seem like what the market wants, but can they make this happen? Well, just like in California, people are realizing, wait a minute, these companies are losing billions of dollars on these projects for electric cars and nobody wants to buy them. How do we square this? Well, the Biden administration is now weighing, slowing the shift to electric cars. The Biden administration faces pressure on multiple fronts to weaken its electrification targets, in part because of slowing EV sales and also problems with public EV charging stations. The New York Times first reported that the EPA is mulling such a change, which would mark a major election year concession to automakers and labor unions. It comes as President Biden walks a tight political tightrope by balancing two high-profile priorities, fighting climate change and championing uh, labor rights. Now, of course, Tesla famously not a labor friendly, uh, you know, a, a union company. So they get no love. It just shows where the priorities are. They don't actually care about the climate at all. They care about their political interests. And that is one of the reasons why Glenn said, hey, maybe you want to tap the brakes on celebrating these gains. And of course, he's right on this. 
you, you still celebrate the gains. You still recognize the progress when you're pushing back against these things. But as he pointed out, it is an election year here, boys and girls. We know that a lot of the promises made right now are not realistic, especially coming from the Biden administration. They can say now they can, that they're slowing progress towards electric vehicles. And while, yes, that will piss off some of their left-wing AOC-type supporters, at the end of the day, they're all going to vote for Biden anyway. Uh, they want to try to win over some of those people in the middle who are saying, I don't really want an electric car. Why are you pushing this on us? Uh, they can back off of some of that, make it easier for people to buy the cars that they actually want. They can push, pull back on the ESG stuff. These companies that are looking at this saying, well, we don't want to scare people away from voting for Joe Biden again, or we're going to lose all this progress with potentially a Donald Trump presidency. So act like we're being reasonable, pull back for now. Once Biden wins, we go back in full force. Very possible. And that's why we have to continue fighting for all of this. You can't you can't sit back. You can't rest on your laurels because the laurels go away incredibly quickly. Um, that's the question being asked by uh, Real Clear Energy. Will 2024 be the year to challenge ESG investing? It does seem like there's going to be progress made, but it's important to realize that it's not progress that is eternal. You know, one of the problems with uh, the approach of a lot of the Trump uh, administration when, when he was in office on a lot of these bills was he had the right uh, he had the right outcome in mind, right? Shutting down the border, closing it uh, down to illegal immigrants, um, you know, uh, approaching, uh, you know, energy in a way that was more expansive. All these things were good, but they were all done through executive order. You know, they were done through Donald Trump wanting to do them and using the federal government and the executive branch's powers to try to get those things done. That improves it for the time you are president. But as soon as you lose to somebody else from the other party, well, they come in and do the exact opposite, which is what, of course, Biden has done. So, you know, look, is it worth having a Republican president so they can do as much of this as possible and make it better for four years? Well, sure. I don't know that we can take another four years like we've had here with Joe Biden. On the other hand, getting these done, getting this stuff done through legislation and stuff that's consistent with the Constitution is really important or it's just fleeting. You know, you can get an improvement for a couple of years, but then the other side will use those same powers to reverse everything that you've done. And that was one of the big weaknesses, if you want to make an argument of weakness on the Trump administration, that this stuff was just not lasting. You know, it all went away the second Joe Biden walked into the White House. Now, it's not just climate that there's been a pushback against. It's also um, uh, DEI. This is another situation where a lot of companies are running away from this. There are some that are hanging on uh, to it, for sure. The left-wing companies of the world are hanging on to it, but a lot of companies are now scared because they, they don't want to piss off their conservative uh, customers. They don't want to piss off their employees. And they're saying, like, you know, maybe taking a stance on every issue is really not for us. Maybe we should just make the widgets and, and sell them to people. That seems like the approach that I would want, it's not necessarily the approach most companies have taken recently. Now, Mark Cuban, who is in the past identified as a, a libertarian, which is, or at least been identified as a libertarian, he's not libertarian at all. Um, and he got, he's been getting into fights about DEI, basically saying it's good. Um, you know, it's a pretty odd stance to take for somebody who's trying to appeal to uh, a libertarian or conservative audience. But he had a tweet on DEI and hiring practices that, that drew criticism. Let me run you through this quickly because it's pretty fascinating. People forget that the stuff they're doing is illegal. 
you know, it might feel good to say all these DEI friendly things, but what you're doing when you discriminate based on race is something that is illegal. It's something I talked about uh, earlier, in, or maybe it was last week, with the Coleman Hughes book. Color blindness is push is legally in our system. You are supposed to not hire or discriminate based on race or uh, you know, skin color, creed, all these things. And honestly, like a lot of people who run companies now are so bought into the left wing ESG situation, they don't even know it. Yeah, you know, Mark Cuban seems to be an example of that. Someone had tweeted to him, I believe in a colorblind meritocracy. This means I am against forms of hiring which undercut merit, including forms of hiring which cut out merited individuals over their group associations. Um, and so he goes on in that tweet. But Mark Cuban then responds. He says, I've never hired anyone based exclusively on race, gender, or religion. Exclusively is the important word here. I only ever hire the person that will put my business in the best position to succeed. Now, what, what he's saying here are two different things. And he says, yes, race and gender can be part of the equation. I view diversity as a competitive advantage. Now, how would you propose funding, finding organizations that give preference to white people? Why aren't you working as hard to show examples of white preference as you are DEI? You claim to abhor both. The bottom of the end of that is just like, you know, generic argument. But of course, the beginning of it is he's saying, look, look, if I have a choice of two people that are equal, I'm going to choose uh, someone with, from a diverse background because that gives me a little bit of a, a competitive advantage. I'm choosing based on their race. Well, problem with that is you're not allowed to do that. That shouldn't be allowed. Uh, Mark Cuban, this is from Andrea Lucas, an EEOC commissioner here. Unfortunately, you're dead wrong on the black letter Title VII law. As a general rule, race and sex can't even be a motivating factor, nor a plus factor, a tiebreaker, or a tipping point. It is important employers understand the ground rules here, and that is, of course, true. You should be based, uh, your hiring should be based entirely on whether you think merit is the factor. That is it. Who's the best employee? Don't look at their skin color. Don't look at their private parts. Don't uh, look at what religion they are. Don't do any of that stuff. Hire the best person. Now, Cuban is now facing a potential lawsuit uh, after defending the DEI in a viral post. The law is crystal clear. Another EEOC commissioner, um, I talked about this, and told Fox Business Lydia uh, Hugh uh, this quote, the law is crystal clear. There is no legitimate business reason that justifies discrimination based on race or sex. Mark Cuban is conflating the idea that someone's race and sex can be part of the complete package. He, she said that uh, she would not be surprised if a lawsuit against the billionaire was filed today. Uh, this is a problem. And, and I think, you know, it's one of those things where, like, his motivations might be positive to some people. I don't see discriminating based on skin color as a positive motivation. You know, we got this a lot during the COVID period. It's like, hey, do you want to buy from a black-owned business? No. I don't want to even know if it's a black owned business, not because I don't want to buy from a black person. I just want to buy from a person based on the merit of the place that I'm buying from. I don't want to prioritize skin color when I make the decision based on what falafel I buy. That's not something that makes any sense to me. What makes sense? I mean, not buying a falafel is also questionable, but you know what I'm saying? The point is that skin color should not be a factor as to whether you go to a business or not. That's weird to me. The idea of thinking, you know, I, I really want to get this, uh, these chicken nuggets, but a white guy owns the place, so I don't want them. That's a psychotic decision-making process.
You shouldn't be doing that. It, by the way, it's equally psychotic to say, I don't want to get my chicken nuggets from a place that a black man owns. That's also psychotic. Making decisions like that based on skin color puts you in a weirdo category to me. That's where you are. So if that's where the way you're thinking, you're just strange. I mean, I think this was the type of philosophy that I thought we did away with decades ago. It's supposed to be making decisions based on the person, on the merit, on the individual, on the character, on things they do to decipher themselves. Because I got news for you. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about what group you're in. What people care about are the things you do as an individual that separate yourself from the group. Why are you better than the place down the street? If the answer to that is skin color, then you're making your decisions wrong. You're doing life wrong at that point. This is where we are in our society, though. We are making progress, and it's, it's important to remember that we are. Because a lot of times I think we get we beat ourselves up over and over and over again and feel like these things never change. But they can change, and they are changing, some of them for the positive. Let's try to take those gains and build on them. Uh, and we're doing that in every facet, I think, of our politics. The border is another one that I think uh, we have an opportunity on. We'll get into some of that with Jason Buttrell next. This past December, uh, drug shortages hit a record high, and this is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments. I mean, think of all the pressures we have right now. I mean, half of half of healthcare right now is coming through the government. We know the supply chains have not been managed correctly. We have all sorts of production problems here in the United States. We're talking about you know relying on China and India for these drugs. I mean, like, look, if things go awry, as we saw during the COVID period, what do you think they're going to care about? They're going to care about you. They're going to care about their own people. Uh, well, doctors are even saying they're being able uh, to uh, look at these situations and say, we've got to make choices. We've got to make choices on who gets drugs, who doesn't. That's not how America is supposed to be. You should prepare yourself with the Jace case. Do it while you can. It's a personalized emergency kit that contains five essential antibiotics that treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections. You can get your own. You can then buy a gift card or, your, you know, whatever. Buy one for your family. Um, get, get a bunch of these maybe to your house because the bottom line is you need to be prepared for not just food, not just water, not just shelter, but you need to be prepared for the medicines that you need. There's a lot of random illnesses that we get that we don't even think of as anything serious because we had these important antibiotics that stop them. If those go away, you might go away. JaceMedical.com can solve this for you. J-A-S-E Medical.com. Use the code STU at checkout. You'll get a discount on your order. Again, the promo code is STU at J-A-S-E Medical.com. It's the Jace case from Jace Medical. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Let's bring in Jason Buttrell. He's the head writer and researcher for Glenn Beck. Jason, how's it going? That's going great. Um, you are back. Uh, now, I, recovering from an illness you received while <laughs> on the road doing a border documentary. Yeah, it must have been that. We went and embedded with the trucker convoy uh, for, I guess we jumped on in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and then okay, drove wow. the entire way down oh, wow. towards Eagle Pass. I didn't realize you were with yeah. them that long. Oh, yeah. yeah we, like, uh, we, we had our own very awesome minivan, you know, that we kind of 
got in with the rest of the convoy. Yeah. So we were, that didn't score us very many cool points. But then I also like got to ride on the, like, one of the bigger RVs with some of the organizers, and it was interesting. It was interesting just to see the you know how the media was portraying that. Mm-hmm. It was. Well, I mean, it, it's even more and more interesting because, you know, you had people on the right that were scared to go because they thought that it could have been like a psyop, you know, or sure. or a Fed type thing, or just something that could just spiral out of control, so, which is a legitimate which concern. Just happened, you know, yeah, um, obviously. And then you know you had the media that were calling them Christian nationalists, and it was kind of funny. There's this; it's going to be in the documentary, but you know, I just kind of went to all of them, and I was like, "Have you seen? You know what they're calling you, Christian nationalists?" And they were like. No, I didn't see that. And I was like, do you even know what Christian nationalist is? And then deer in the headlights. Um, does it mean we're Christian and we're right. proud of our country? Like, <laughs> yeah. no. Yeah, right. I'm like, and I, it, was, it was kind of hilarious. I was talking to one woman and I was like, well, you know, to clarify, you know, they, they would say that, you know, you're against the U.S. Constitution, that, you know, you would push for like more of a theocracy, you know, over what we concurrent system we have now. And they were like, I'm literally handing out pocket constitutions. <laughs> like, I got more pocket constitutions handed to me on this convoy. Like, yeah. it's stacked up on my desk at home. It's hilarious. Yeah, you know, there is this idea. There's a boogeyman around every corner on the right when it comes to the media, right? Like, they yeah. see everything as this, everything's an insurrection. Everything's Christian nationalism. Uh, you didn't see any sign of that at all, though, on this on this convoy. No, I mean, we there, there was there was I guess some counter protesters that showed up at the very final event down mm-hmm. in Eagle Pass. And that the, the, that was the first time I saw Christian nationalism plastered somewhere at any of their events. And it was this giant RV that they had wrapped. And it was like something, something organization against Christian nationalism. And uh, I looked up the organization. It was the Lincoln Project. Oh, God. Um, the smears on Christian nationalism have gotten <sighs> way out of hand. The vast majority of people, I got it. This is a very interesting conversation, Stu. I know we don't have time for it. But the left is really using that for anyone that is just a godly person or Christian. Right. And, and they and, like the country, right? And, like and, the, the right. summary that like you, the trucker uses kind of what they're painting it as. Like the, everyone's a Christian nationalist that hits those two things. You love the country and you love God. Yeah. But I mean, I, I kind of feel like their critique is more on statists and mm. statism. Yeah. And then there's a lot of Christians that, well, not a lot. They're, they're, I think that a lot of uh, Christian ideals run parallel with some status on the right. There's status on the right, status on the left. Sure. And for some reason, they are co-opting that entire status movement as Christian nationalists. It's not fair. And to me, it's complete bullcrap. I mean, there's a subset of a subset of a subset on the right, right who actually want some weird Christian nationalism thing. I mean, it is... Have you ever seen one or talked to one in the flesh? I don't think I, I have. I mean, I've read some of their words. Um, and I don't, you know, I mean, but I've never actually, like... No one that I've talked to and like respected has been like, you know, actually, this is a really good idea. I mean, it's more, it's more of a, you know, there's some people who say like we have to go down the road, and I think for both of us, some people bring up stuff that makes me feel uncomfortable that they're going too close to it, even though they're not Christian nationalists. I don't like the the status control is like something that I fought against my whole life. It's one of the reasons why I got into this business is yeah. I think centralized government control is a really bad idea. There is a germ of 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 energy on the right that, that is entertaining those ideas. Mm-hmm. But I mean, when you compare it to the left, it's, it's, it's not even a comparison. Like everyone yeah. on the left seems to want centralized control. They just want to push it for different reasons. What's, what's so weird about that sect on the right, and it really does concern me, it worries me, mm-hmm. because I feel like there's a, a, 
I think a vast majority of them probably had similar, you know, ideals that we do uh, about central control. Mm -hmm. But I feel like they've just been broken. They've been broken by, you know, like the, the, I think I, I think that first year in the Trump administration broke a lot of them when nothing that they wanted to get done actually got done. Mm -hmm. You had control of every single, you know, form of branch of government. You had it all. Then you took control of the Supreme Court. Nothing really happened. Obamacare is still there. Nothing got fixed. The border didn't really get fixed. Um, and a lot of them are broken. They're like, well, you know, if, if, if it takes yeah. the strong man, but he's on our side, to fix everything, I'm willing to deal with that. Yeah, but of, of course, course, that's not how it works. But that's not how it works. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't, I mean, it creates new problems, and then the other strong man gets in and creates all the same problems all right. over again, and then where are you? Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I think we're, we're aligned on this, but I, I do think there is a, there is a, a, an interesting conversation going on on the right about s some of this, and, and not even like, straight out like uh, you know when you're talking about like some sort of status policy it's not that pure it's just like a walk down the road it's a meandering down the road the end of the road is something that i think everyone's scared of mm -hmm. but like when you're scared of the thing at the end of the road don't take a few steps down the road right like and i think that's that's what make that's what making me nervous right now. But when you look at what Biden is doing and and the failures of the Republicans to push back against a lot of that stuff, you can understand why people are looking to more and more drastic actions. Like they're looking, we have to do something. Is the answer I hear all yeah. the time from people. So, but that was not them. That, like this trucker convoy. That was not the trucker. Convoy. That was not the trucker convoy. And and we actually, uh, I guess it was like the day right before the big their big rally right down there on the border. We decided to go down to Eagle Pass because that's where all the big news now is. That's right. what, in, in fact, the day after we were at Eagle Pass, they were having another huge press conference where all these different governors were coming down in solidarity with, you know, Texas and mm -hmm. this like Texas versus the Biden administration yeah. type thing. Um, did I say did I say Sarah Huckabee Sanders was there? She, she was there. Multiple okay. other governors mm -hmm. were there. But um, I can't give away too much on that. Okay. But let me just put it like this. What we witnessed, and we did some digging around, like we did some actual, you know, nosing around when we got there. I was more black-pilled on the border than I ha ever have in my life. Hmm. Oh, wait, now you have to always describe to me which pill is which. I can't keep track of the pills. <laughs> so what does bla black pill mean again? Black pill is basically we're all screwed. Like, okay, you know, okay, like, okay. I have no hope in this whatsoever Pes the anymore. Pessimistic one. Okay. The pessimistic yes, one. The pessimistic one. And it was crazy is everyone was all kind of hyped on this. Like, finally, Texas is, you know, taking responsibility for the border. They're, mm -hmm. they're fixing what Biden will not fix. I don't believe that's the case. That you don't believe that, that Texas is acting or you don't think they have any hope of succeeding? I don't believe Texas is legitimately acting. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Um, and fully backed up on this, mm -hmm. but after what we saw and what we're going to expose, and this, is, this should be coming out later this month, I believe, mm. I think that everyone will be like, they never intend to fix the border. The right uses it, the left uses it, and the media uses it, all for their own purposes, but they never actually have any intention of solving it. Oh. It is... So depressing. This is going to be fascinating to watch. Um, now, this is part of the Blaze Original series, yeah. right? Like we're doing, I don't know, what is it, one a month or something like that, where they're they're doing these new documentaries. This is a great reason if you're on Pluto, you're listening to the podcast to subscribe to Blaze TV because you get access to these documentaries. It's blazetv.com slash stew. The promo code is stew. Uh, another thing you get today is Glenn's uh, earlier interview with Tucker Carlson that went on today. Uh, there Live. is, I mean, 
there's tons of stuff uh, as part of your Blaze TV subscription, uh, so I would encourage you to subscribe. Uh, and one of the things we'll be doing, too, of course, is really extensive election coverage as we get closer and closer to the general. And we had big plans for the primary uh, to, to cover it, but it really didn't turn into a race. We'll have some stuff on Friday's State of the Race audio podcast uh, relating to South Carolina and, of course, and Super Tuesday. But we're not really having much of a primary race. It looks like it's going to be Trump versus Biden, the rematch, uh, unless something crazy happens. I know I have a bet going on with Glenn Beck <laughs> where he says Michelle Obama is going to be the nominee. I say it's going to be Joe Biden, the very boring um, chalk sort of viewpoint. We bet $1,000 on this. And after I made the bet, I was very excited that I got even odds on this bet. Right now, I'm getting a little a little nervous. Uh, <laughs> after watching Biden, he's an elderly old man with a bad uh, memory. Uh, it's it's getting a little scary for me. Where do you where do you think this turns out? I'm 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 on Glenn's side on this. I won't. No, no. I'll do about ten percent of your bet. Okay. So I'll throw a hundred dollars down on oh, it. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm I just lost a ton during the the yeah. like the the playoff game leading <laughs> right, up to the Super right. Bowl. So um yeah I I. I tell you what, that day was probably one of the worst days that I've seen a president have yeah. when the special counsel report came out. That was really bad. That was insane. It basically said he is too mentally incompetent to stand trial, but run the country is fine. Right. But, but he can't stand trial because he's too mentally incompetent. Now, when he had called that press conference, what does it say that maybe 75% of the country were like, oh, he's stepping down? I mean, he's probably stepping it down. It did feel that way. It seemed erratic. And uh, at some point you were like, is he just going to leave office, like walk right out? But no, he, he instead got indignant, right? And just started to fight with people, which didn't come <laughs> off well either. Well, I, I, I'm still like trying to wrap my brain about that entire press conference yeah. because he started off taking a victory lap. He was like, oh, I'm absolved. And the special counsel is awesome. And that's not what they said. The, the, they, 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 they didn't absolve him. They said... He's guilty, but like he's too old and forgetful to actually win the trial, so we'll just let him go. Right, right, right. But but that was what was so weird about it is he was basically saying, yeah, the special counsel's amazing, but he's really, really bad because of yeah. the salacious information that he released on me. And that was the buzzword after that. Everyone was saying that Kamala Harris said salacious about 75,000 times. Um, but it wasn't salacious. That was absolutely necessary no. to get that information. Yes, because otherwise, if you don't add that in, why did you let him off? But he didn't step down. He's still in the race. And you still want to bet an extra $100 on this? Yeah, I don't. I, I, I mean, uh, I think this is this. I, I think they'll take it all the way up to Super Tuesday. I really do. I think they're prepared to take it all the way up to Super Tuesday. You mean you, you let Biden go? Uh, yeah, or just let him stay in the race, <laughs> formally in the race up until then. Because that's only a few weeks away. I mean, I think it, I won't be surprised. Really? To. Yeah. This is on. I mean, but who? It's yeah. There is no one else that could take over. I mean, who? Who else? Like right now, as our most polls are saying now that he's probably going to lose to Donald Trump. I, yep. I know those fluctuate. I mean, it's, it's still close, early. but yes, that most most polls. But that are margin that. of victory is not comfortable for them at all. No, especially for what they want to get done. Going forward, that is way too. I mean, they're losing. I would, you know, argue right now they're losing most of these polls to Trump. Trump looks like he's going to win. So the fact that they're going, if there's any chance that they would lose to a person they describe essentially as Hitler, Hitler with a very odd uh, positive record on Israel. Um, uh, but the fact that they would think that they could lose to this guy, you think would be freaking them out. And yeah. you see Democrats like Nate Silver had a piece going through this and saying like any other Democrat is probably heavily favored over Donald Trump right now. I mean, like that's, you know, you go through the, 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 uh, the 
as long as they're not also 80. Um, you know, anyone without these age problems and the, and the mental acuity issues probably is a favorite against Trump. He, he, he estimated, I think, at 65-35, sort of a percentage odds of victory, if it wasn't Joe Biden. It's, well, it's so weird. So you, you plug in a random, more moderate-style Democrat yeah. that would have the appeal. But the crazy thing about politics nowadays is, I don't know, I, I feel like... Does that person even exist? Well, that's, that's a good point. And then it's, it's such a cult of personality era. Yeah. You know, like, like we're picking these candidates that have these over-the-top personalities, not maybe because fairly they built it on themselves, for themselves, like Joe Biden, but from what the media has created for them. Um, Joe Biden is just, I, I really don't know what his cult of personality is, but uh, Hillary Clinton has a cult of personality. It's negative, so mm-hmm. they can't run her. Right. Michelle Obama does have that cult of personality, she purely does. off of name recognition. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you stick him in, you stick her in, you stick Gavin Newsom as a running mate, you probably win the election right there. The question, the question is, can they convince Michelle Obama to do it? And I don't know if th- that she's... And I, you know they're talking with her, or at least in my scenario, they've got to be talking to her at this point. I think those conversations have occurred. I mean, I think they've ent- entertained this. I mean, the, the conversation about Biden stepping down is almost public at this point. Like, they really are thinking about it. Now, that doesn't mean I lose. Uh, that doesn't, it means I can't win the bet. Um, however, it does not mean that I lose the bet. It ha- would have to be Michelle Obama when, when it comes to the Glenn bet, um, which is a minor part of this, considering we're talking about the future of our country. But it, it is on my mind quite a bit. Um, but it is like one of those things where who else has the personality, right. though? And like also it's after the primary. Like if, if this if this conversation happened last summer, you'd have 20 people in this race trying to win this nomination. But like. Yeah. He's already won the primary. Like, there's almost, I mean, obviously not technically, but like, there's be no way to put candidates in there. They're not going to give it to Dean Phillips, right? Like, that's not going to happen. Marianne Williamson isn't getting back in the race and winning this nomination. Okay, so can I ask you this? Because I don't, I know that they did something how they handled their superdelegates. Yeah. Didn't they change that? Yeah, they've had a bunch of changes on that over the years. But can't they still, even after, let's say it goes after Super Tuesday, Mm -hmm. can't they, can't the, can't the delegates still uh, back Michelle if they wanted to? Yeah, uh, yeah. Basically, yes, they can. They can base the Democrats can basically do whatever they want if they really want to, if they really want to, because the delegates uh, are assigned to Biden. But of course, they could do whatever they wanted. Um, They could fear, especially if Biden is out of the race. I do think that part of this has to be Biden agreeing with it. And if he's losing by 10 points right now, he's losing by three or four. If it goes to he's losing by 10 to Donald Trump, I think he would probably just drop out which is a whole, a whole other story. And then you need to have an emergency person, and that's when they can push in whoever they want. That's when your Michelle Obama bet becomes a, a little bit, you know, it scares me even more. I mean, I, yeah, well, I, see, I'm, I'm, I still believe that this is Obama's third term. Mm-hmm. Um, right after the election in 2020, the entire mainstream media was all but saying the same thing. Yeah. Now it's hush-hush, they don't talk about it. Yep. But they were all saying, wait, why are so many Obama people in there? It's almost like it's his third term. Mm-hmm. Like uh, multiple, you know, from AP, New York Times, they were all saying this. We all know it. I don't, think Bi- I don't even think it's Biden's decision whether he drops out at this point. I think that he doesn't want to be there. I, I really do. Right. I, I'm full tinfoil. I don't think he wants to be there. I think he's being made to do it. And uh, I think that just like in that, you, I'm sure you saw that podcast where, you know, Barack was saying that, you know, Obama was saying that, you know, he wouldn't want to be president again. But if he could have the earpiece and, you know, right. whisper into <laughs> yeah. the ear, be the, he did, I fully believe that's what's going that's on what's right going now. On. All right. So do we are, do you want to get into this? An extra hundred bucks. I'll go hundred. I'll go hundred. hundred yeah. bucks. So the bet is same terms as Glenn. Uh, Michelle Obama has to be the nominee for you to win. 
Joe Biden has to be the nominee. If I win, if it's Gavin Newsom, which is just a push, we get nothing. Yeah, I feel You're like in. you took the safest possible bet you could on this, <laughs> and it's a little bit unfair. We have more to lose here, so I feel like we should get better off. We're out of time uh, <laughs> here. Uh, we'll be back uh, with more. Jason Buttrell, uh, head writer and researcher. The, the documentary comes out later this month? Yes. Okay, so make sure you don't miss this. It's part of your Blaze TV subscription, blazetv.com slash stew. Promo code is stew. Jason, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. There's a, a sort of very loose rule of thumb when it comes to presidential elections. And basically it works like this. If you got a 50% approval rating leading into the election, you, you win. If you got less than a 50% approval rating, you lose. This has pretty much been true over most of recent elections. Um, there have been, uh, there's one exception to this. This was George W. Bush. He had a 48% approval rating in Gallup's final 2004 pre-election poll taken in late October. However, he had, was at 50% multiple times that month. So, like, basically, if you're around 50, you win. If you're below 50, you lose. Uh, Gerald Ford lost with a 45% approval rating. Um, Trump was at 46 in 2020. He lost. 34% for George H.W. Bush back in the day. He lost uh, as well. Um, Biden's approval rating is at 41%. So this is not good. This is what you would call the opposite of good. The headline is political economic indicators not promising for Biden. Now, I will tell you, I don't mind it, but I, for the Biden administration, it's not good. Sub 50% of presidential ratings usually result in electoral defeat. Biden's fate will ultimately be determined on whether Americans' views on these metrics approve over the, improve over the course of the year, as they did for Bill Clinton in 1996 and Barack Obama in 2012, stay the same or get worse, as they did for George H.W. Bush in 1992 and Donald Trump in 2020. Uh, by the way, Biden started 2024 with 20% of Americans satisfied with the country's direction. Not good. Suboptimal is the way I would describe that. Now, Trump has a big lead in South Carolina. This is a Saturday, by the way. This primary is Saturday. 23-point lead over Haley, which is a little bit more narrow than most of the polling has shown. There's been a couple of uh, polls that have shown it around this area. 61 to 39 is the current Emerson poll. Voters who affiliate as Republican break for Trump 71 to 29. Voters who vo uh, affiliate as Independent Vote, go for Nikki Haley, 54 to 46 in the poll. I mean, that is a I mean, look, if Haley can keep it within 20 points, that would be, a, I think, a win for her at this point. Um, I will not be surprised, though, if it even opens up a little bit more than that by the time the election uh, results are counted. Again, though, remember, this is her home state. So it wouldn't be completely shocking if she showed relatively well here. And if she loses you know, if she loses, let's say, 58-42, I don't know, she has a good day, she loses by 16 points, you know, that's, uh, she can make an argument that she has a little bit of momentum. Maybe she keeps some of these Super Tuesday states clo uh, close as well. So I don't think she's going anywhere. At this point, I think she's blown up 
whatever positives she could have from the party as far as like endorsing Donald Trump or eventually coming around to be buddy buddy with him. So I think at this point she's taken this as long as she and far as she can take it, building up the, the delegates and then see what happens. Uh, Haley, by the way, reiterated she would pardon uh, the, her rival, Trump, as feud intensifies, which is a weird way to to to, to point to an uh, intensifying feud to say that you're going to pardon uh, your opponent, but that's what she's uh, saying. Uh, maybe the feud isn't that intense. I don't know. It uh, seems like they don't like each other very much, but that is at least her stated uh, intent when it comes to the Donald Trump legal uh, instances. Of course, her actually becoming the nominee is really the long shot here uh, because she's still way, way behind. I started the show with some good news, uh, but I'm going to have to give you some bad news as well. Um, one of my favorite segments on this program is idiots gluing themselves to things. And I love this segment because I love watching idiots glue themselves to things as some sort of climate protest. But this seems to be fading out of popularity. Let me show you the latest protest. Um, they poured red powder on the Constitution and then blathered on about the climate. Now. Of course, they didn't actually throw it on the Constitution. They threw it on glass in front of the Constitution while police officers just stood there and let them run their mouths. Why aren't they being arrested? Why aren't... No one seems to know. Um, but they didn't glue themselves to anything, so they don't actually fit into this segment. But I just feel like it's a tragedy. We can't lose these idiots gluing themselves to things. It's wrong. So anyway, we are going to keep monitoring the situation and hope for the best that more idiots will glue themselves to more things. Got some great uh, comedy bits that have been putting up on YouTube. Uh, there's a new one up today. It is uh, about Joe and Hunter in a private conversation. Some letters they've been exchanging. I think you'll enjoy it. YouTube.com slash Stu Does America. Share it with everybody uh, that you know. YouTube.com slash Stu Does America. Make sure. <laughs> 